Section 17 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 6. Edited by Charles F. Horn, Rosader Johnson, and John Rudd. Innocent III exalts the papal power, A.D. 1208, by T.F. Tout, Part Two. The long strife of Innocent with John of Anjou about the disputed election to the See of Canterbury was fought with the same weapons which the Pope had already employed against the King of France. But John held out longer. Interdict was followed by excommunications and threatened deposition. At last, the English king surrendered his crown to the papal agent, Pandolf, and, like Peter of Aragon, received it back as a vassal of the papacy, bound by an annual tribute. Nor were these the only kings that sought the support of the great pope. The schismatic princes of the east vied in ardor with the Catholic princes of the west in their quest of innocence favor. King Leo of Armenia begged for his protection. The Bulgarian prince John besought the Pope to grant him a royal crown. Innocent posed as a mediator in Hungary between the two brothers, Emmerich and Andrew, who were struggling for the crown. Canute of Denmark, zealous for his sister's honor, was his humble suppliant. Poland was equally obedient. The Duke of Bohemia accepted the papal reproof for allying himself with Philip of Swabia. Despite his vigor and his authority, Innocent's constant interference with the internal concerns of every country in Europe did not pass unchallenged. Even the kings who invoked his intercession were constantly in conflict with him. Besides, his gray quarrels in Germany, France, and England, Innocent had many minor wars to wage against the princes of Europe. For five years, the kingdom of Leon lay under interdict because its king Alfonso had married his cousin, Berengaria of Castile in the hope of securing the peace between the two realms. It was only after the lady had borne five children to Alfonso that she voluntarily terminated the obnoxious union, and Innocent found it prudent, as in France, to legitimize the offspring of a marriage which he had denounced as incestuous. Not one of the princes of the peninsula was spared. Sancho of Navarre incurred interdict by reason of suspected dealings with the Saracens, while the marriage of his sister with Peter of Aragon, the vassal of the Pope, involved both kings in a contest with Innocent. Not only did the monarchs of Europe resent, so far as they were able, the Pope's haughty policy, for the first time, the peoples of their realms began to make common cause with them, against the political aggressions of the papacy. The nobles of Aragon protested against King Peter's submission to the papacy, declared that his surrender of their kingdom was invalid, and prevented the payment of the promised tribute. When John of England procured his Roman overlord's condemnation of Magna Charta, the support of Rome was no avail to prevent his indignant subjects combining to drive him from the throne, and did not even hinder Louis of France, the son of the papalist Philip II, from accepting their invitation to become English king in his stead. It was only by a repudiation of this policy and by an acceptance of the Great Charter, that the papacy could secure the English throne 
for John's young son, Henry the Third, and thus continue for a time its precarious overlordship over England. For the moment, Innocent's iron policy crushed opposition, but in adding the new hostility of the national kings and the rising nations of Europe to the old hostility of the declining empire, Innocent was entering into a perilous course of conduct, which, within a century, was to prove fatal to one of the strongest of his successors. The more political the papal authority became, the more difficult it was to uphold its prestige as the source of law, of morality, of religion. Innocent himself did not lose sight of the higher ideal, because he strove so firmly after more earthly aims. His successors were not always so able or so high-minded, and it was as the protectors of the people, not as the enemies of their political rights, that the great popes of the 11th and 12th centuries had obtained their wonderful ascendancy over the best minds of Europe. The coronation of Otto IV did not end Innocent's trouble with the empire. It was soon followed by an open breach between the pope and his nominee, from which ultimately developed something like a general European war, between a league of partisans of the pope and a league of partisans of Otto. It was inevitable that Otto, as a crowned emperor, should look upon the papal power in a way very different from that in which he had regarded it when a faction leader struggling for the crown. Then the support of the pope was indispensable. Now the autocracy of the pope was to be feared. The Hohenstaufen ministeriales, who now surrounded the Gulfic emperor, raised his ideals and modified his policy. Henry of Calden, the old minister of Henry the Sixth, was now his closest confidant, and under his direction it soon became Otto's ambition to continue the policy of the Diopold and the other German adventurers, who still defied Frederick the Second and the Pope in Apulia. He soon claimed the inheritance of Matilda, as well as the Sicilian monarchy. In August 1210, he occupied Matilda's Tuscan lands, and in November invaded Apulia and prepared to dispatch a Pisan fleet against Sicily. Innocent was moved to a terrible wrath. On hearing of the capture of Capua and the revolt of Salerno and Naples, he excommunicated the emperor and freed his subjects from their oaths of fealty to him. But, despite the threats to the church, Otto conquered most of Apulia and was equally successful in reviving the imperial authority in northern Italy. Innocent saw the power that he had built up so carefully in Italy crumbling rapidly away. In his despair, he turned to France and Germany for help against the audacious gulf. Philip Augustus, though still in bad odor at Rome through his persistent hostility to Ingeborg, was now an indispensable ally. He actively threw himself into the Pope's policy, and French and Papal agents combined to stir up disaffection against Otto in Germany. The haughty manners and the love of the young king for Englishmen and Saxons had already excited disaffection. It was believed that Otto wished to set up a centralized despotism of the court officials, levying huge taxes on the model of the Angevin administrative system of his grandfathers and uncles. The bishops now took the lead in organizing a general defection from the absent emperor. In September 1211, a gathering of disaffected magnates, among whom were the newly made King Ottokar of Bohemia, and the Dukes of Austria and Bavaria, assembled at Nuremberg. They treated the papal sentence as the disposition of Otto. 
and pledged themselves to elect as their new king frederick of sicily the sometime ward of the pope it was not altogether good news to the pope that the german nobles had in choosing the son of henry the sixth renewed the union of german and sicily but innocent felt that the need of setting up an effective opposition to otto was so pressing that he put out of sight the general in favor of the immediate interests of the roman see he accepted frederick as emperor only stipulating that he could renew his homage for the sicilian crown and consequently renounce an inalienable union between sicily and the empire frederick now left sicily repeated his submission to innocent at rome and crossed the alps for germany otto had already abandoned italy to meet the threatened danger in the north misfortune soon showered thick upon him his hohenstaufen wife beatrice died and her loss lessened his hold on southern germany when frederick appeared swabia and bavaria were already eager to welcome the heir of the mighty southern line and aid him against the audacious saxon the spiritual magnates flocked to the side of the friend and pupil of the pope in december twelve twelve followed frederick's formal election and his coronation at mainz by the archbishop siegfried early in twelve thirteen henry of calden appeared at his court henceforward the important class of the ministeriales was divided while some remained true to otto others gradually went back to the personal representative of hohenstaufen otto was now thrown back on saxony and the lower rhineland he again took up his quarters with the faithful citizens of cologne when he appealed for help to his uncle john of england still under the papal band with english help he united the princes of the netherlands in a party of opposition to the pope and the hohenstaufen frederick answered by a closer and a more effective league with france even before his coronation he had met louis the son of philip augustus at vaucouleurs all europe seemed arming at the bidding of the pope and emperor john of england now hastily reconciled himself to innocent at the price of the independence of his kingdom he thus became in a better position to aid his excommunicated nephew and revenge the loss of normandy and anjou on philip augustus his plan was now a twofold one he himself summoned the barons of england to follow him in an attempt to recover his ancient lands on the lower meanwhile otto and the netherlandish lords were encouraged by substantial english help to carry out a combined attack on france from the north the opposition of the english barons reduced to comparative insignificance the expedition to poitou but a very considerable army gathered together under otto and took up its position in the neighborhood of tournai among the french king's vassals ferrand count of flanders long hostile to his overlord philip and the count of boulogne fought strenuously on otto's side while of the imperial vassals the count of holland and duke of brabant lower lorraine were among otto's most active supporters a considerable english contingent came also headed by otto's bastard uncle william longsword earl of salisbury philip himself commanded the chivalry of france leaving his son louis to fight against john and poitou on july twenty seventh the decisive battle was fought at bouvines a few miles southwest of tournai the army of france and church gained an overwhelming victory over the league which had incurred the papal ban and otto's fortunes were utterly shattered 
he soon lost all his hold over the rhineland and was forced to retreat to the ancient domains of his house in saxony his remaining friends made their peace with philip and frederick the defection of the widdlesbackers lost his last hold in the south of germany and the desertion of valdemar of denmark deprived him of a strong friend in the north john withdrew from continental politics to be beaten more decisively by his barons than he had been beaten in poitou or at bovine frederick the second was now undisputed king of the romans and innocent the third had won another triumph by the golden bull of eager july twelve thirteen frederick had already renewed the concessions made by otto to the church and promised obedience to the holy see in twelve sixteen he pledged himself to separate sicily from the empire and establish his son henry there as king under the supremacy of the church but like his other triumphs innocent's victory over the empire was purchased at no small cost for the first time a german national irritation at the aggressions of the papacy began to be distinctly felt it found an adequate expression in the indignant verses of walther von der vogelweide protesting against the priests who strove to upset the rights of the aity and denouncing the greed and pride of the foreigners who profited by the humiliation of germany amid all the distractions of western politics innocent the third ardently strove to revive the crusading spirit he never succeeded in raising all europe as several of his predecessors had done but after great efforts and the eloquent preaching of folk of Neuilly, he stirred up a fair amount of enthusiasm for the crusading cause and in twelve o four a considerable crusading army mainly french mustered at venice it was the bitterest disappointment of innocent's life that the fourth crusade never reached palestine but was diverted to the conquest of the greek empire yet the establishment of a catholic latin empire at constantinople at the expense of the greek schismatics was no small triumph not disheartened by his first failure innocent still urged upon europe the need of the holy war if no expedition against the saracens of syria marked the result of his efforts his pontificate saw the extension of the crusading movement to other lands innocent preached the crusade against the moors of spain and rejoiced in the news of the momentous victory of the christians at navas de tolosa he saw the beginnings of a fresh crusade against the obstinate heathen on the eastern shore of the baltic but all these crusades were against pagans and infidels innocent made a much greater new departure when he proclaimed the first crusade directed against the christian land the albigensian crusade succeeded in destroying the most dangerous and widespread popular heresy that christianity had witnessed since the fall of the roman empire and innocent rejoiced that his times saw the church purged of its worst blemish but in extending the benefits of a crusade to christians fighting against christians he handed on a precedent which has soon fatally abused by his successors in crushing out the young national life of southern france the papacy again set a people against itself the denunciations of the german minnesinger were re-echoed in the complaints of the last of the troubadours rome had ceased to do harm to turks and saracens but had stirred up christians to war against fellow-christians god and his saints abandoned the greedy the strife-loving the unjust worldly church the picture is darkly colored by a partisan but in every triumph of innocent there lay the shadow of future trouble 
Crusades, even against heretics and infidels, are the work of earthly force rather than of spiritual influence. It was to build up the great outward corporation of the church that all these labors of innocent mainly tended. Even his additions to the canon law, his reforms of ecclesiastical jurisdiction, dealt with the external rather than the eternal life of the church. The criticism of James of Vitry, that the Roman Curia was so busy in secular affairs that it hardly turned a thought to spiritual things, is clearly applicable to much of innocent's activity. But the many-sided pope did not ignore the religious wants of the church. His crusade against heresy was no mere war against enemies of the wealth and the power of the church. The new tendencies that were to transform the spiritual life of the 13th century were not strange to him. He favored the early work of Dominic. He had personal dealings with Francis, and showed his sympathy with the early work of the poor man of Assisi. But it is as the conqueror and organizer, rather than the priest of profit, that Innocent made his bark in the church. It is significant that, with all his greatness, he never attained the honors of sanctity. Toward the end of his life, Innocent held a general council in the Basilica of St. John Lateran, a vast gathering of bishops, heads of orders, and secular dignitaries gave brilliancy to the gathering and enhanced the glory of the pontiff. Enthroned over more than four hundred bishops, the Pope proudly declared the law to the world. Two things we have specially to heart, wrote Innocent, in summoning the assembly, the deliverance of the Holy Land and the reform of the Church Universal. In its vast collection of seventy canons, the Lateran Council strove hard to carry out the Pope's program. It condemned the dying heresies of the Albigenses and the Cathari, and prescribed the methods and punishments of the unrepentant heretic. It strove to rekindle zeal for the crusade. It drew up a drastic scheme for reforming the internal life and discipline of the church. It strove to elevate the morals and the learning of the clergy, to check their worldliness and covetousness, and to restrain them from abusing the authority of the church through excess of zeal or more corrupt motives. It invited bishops to set up free schools to teach poor scholars grammar and theology. It forbade trial by battle and trial by ordeal. It subjected the existing monastic orders to stricter superintendence, and forbade the establishment of new monastic rules. It forbade superstitious practices and the worship of spurious or unauthorized relics. The whole series of canons sought to regulate and ameliorate the influence of the church on society. If many of the abuses aimed at were too deeply rooted to be overthrown by mere legislation, the attempt speaks well for the character and intelligence of pope and council. All medieval lawmaking, civil and ecclesiastical alike, was but the promulgation of an ideal rather than the issuing of precepts meant to be literally executed. But no more serious attempt at rooting out inveterate evils was ever made in the Middle Ages than in this council. The formal enunciation of this lofty program of reform brought Innocent's pontificate to a glorious end. The pontiff devoted what little remained of his life to hurrying on the preparations for the projected crusade, which was to set out by 1217. But in the summer of 1216, Innocent died at Perugia, when only 56 years old. If not the greatest, he was the most powerful of all the popes. For nearly twenty years, the whole history of Europe groups itself round his doings.
End of section 17.